0: Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Liu. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Liu. Associate Professor at Georgetown University. For this virtual tumor board, I am fortunate enough to be joined by two dedicated thoracic medical oncologists, both MD-PhDs, both genuine experts in lung cancer management, Dr. Misako Nagasaka and Dr. Antonio Pasaro. Dr. Nagasaka is an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Wayne State University and accomplished clinical investigator at the Barbara Ann Carmanos Cancer Institute in Detroit, Michigan. She has a special expertise in targeted therapy and acquired resistance. Dr. Passaro is a medical oncologist from the European Institute of Oncology in Milan, Italy. Very active in in ESMO, ISLAC, he has a PhD in molecular medicine, and really is a renowned translational investigator in his own right focused on lung cancer. Masako, Antonio, thank you both for making the time to be here.
1: Hi, Stephen and Antonio. Thank you for having me today. I look forward to a great discussion.
0: Thanks very much, Stephen. It's a
2: great pleasure to be here today. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Today for this virtual tumor board, we'll be discussing a case with stage four non-small cell lung cancer. The patient we're discussing is a 55-year-old male non-smoker who presents to the emergency room with shoulder pain. An x-ray there showed a lytic lesion in the humerus. CT revealed a five centimeter left lower lobe lung mass, enlarged mediastinal adenopathy and multiple bone metastases. A CT-guided bone biopsy performed in the hospital revealed metastatic adenocarcinoma, a reflex panel at the hospital showed EGFR, ALK, ROS1, and BRAF were all wild-type. Patient was discharged from the hospital with pain medications and has been referred to your outpatient clinic. Misaka. let's start with you. As you see this patient now with biopsy-confirmed stage 4 non-small cell lung cancer, what is your next step?
1: Sure. So in essence, this is a patient with metastatic lung adenocarcinoma with limited molecular testing results from a bone biopsy. For all metastatic non-small cell lung cancer, especially adenocarcinoma patients, I have been doing liquid biopsies at the time of advanced metastatic diagnosis because this will increase the chances of detecting a targetable mutation as shown in the Nile paper. Tumor can be damaged during the decalcification process performed on bone biopsy specimens, and the results may not be reliable. So if in this case the liquid biopsy is negative, I would probably encourage the patient to get a lung biopsy for molecular testing, which ideally should be done through NGS, so that rare genomic alterations are not missed. Also, I would have the patient complete staging workup by getting an MRI of the brain.
0: So it's a a good point on the bone biopsy, the decalcification process can can certainly damage the the DNA. So important to look at all these details uh, when we're seeing them in our clinic Antonio, can you comment on your approach to the molecular testing in this situation?
2: So, we know that molecular testing is crucial for patients with lung cancer, and in my opinion, are potentially life changing, in particular for no smoker lung cancer patients. In our case, if we consider the scientific available data on different predicting a potential biomarker in no small cell lung cancer, we found a non completed molecular report, but and we have a big but here. I, uh, this incomplete or minimal report, including EGFR, ALK, ROS, and BRAF, reflects the current heterogeneous status for molecular analysis in different countries. For example, in Italy, those four genes are the only four that generally are investigated in the majority of molecular lab in the first step with the PD-L1 expression. And for example, BRAF analysis is not mandatory in UK. Recently, this country-based difference are reported by an interesting consensus paper just published on lung cancer by Kate Kerr and uh, a group of European colleagues. To date in Italy, NGS has uh, a take-up rate of uh, 34% with a significant difference between a territorial hospital and cancer center. And luckily in my cancer center, we are able to use uh, a large NGS panel for each new diagnosis is on stage four nose cell lung cancer, in particular for no squamous. And generally, we are used to wait the full report before starting the, start the first-line treatment.
0: Wow, 34% NGS uptake right now in Italy. That's, that's certainly a lot lower yes. than I would like. Antonio, any role for liquid biopsy in Italy right now?
2: Yes, only in invest- investigational setting. So in Italy, the, we have a reimburse for liquid biopsy only to investigate the EGFR mutation. And the other indication for a legal biopsy at the present time are only in trial or an investigational setting.
0: So, a reminder that, that access to some of the technology still is, is suboptimal, we think. In this case, taking note that this was a bone biopsy, we refer this patient for a CT guided lung biopsy, and that does show adenocarcinoma, TTF1 positive. Here we have our PDL1 result as 70%. So, NGS is ordered. Uh, but it's still pending when we see him. This patient sees their results. Shoulder pain is actually pretty well managed. No other real symptoms. Known metastatic non small cell lung cancer, high PDL1. He asks if he can start immunotherapy now. There's certainly a lot of interest in immunotherapy. We have direct to consumer advertising, we have a lot of social media and lay media really sort of exposing the the real success with immunotherapy. And so this patient asks if he can start while the NGS is pending. So Antonio, not an uncommon situation. pdl one is immunohistochemistry that really should come back in a day. NGS usually takes about two weeks. Can you comment on the use of immunotherapy before we have those NGS results?
2: So uh, this is a very common situation in daily clinical practice. So the as you just uh, re- reminded, the turnaround time for PDL1 in regional chemistry is about uh, five, seven days, uh, while the turnaround time for the NGS is about two weeks. So, uh, considering this working time, mostly we receive the PDL1 before the full molecular report. Um, but on the different timelines, is so complex to balance and discuss with our patient the need to wait with an untreated lung cancer. So... Uh, I'm a very target believer and I don't recognise to the PDL one and exclusive role, in particular in absence of wide molecular understanding in nosmose an patients, and using immunotherapy without a wide and clear molecular portrait could be potential survival limiting factor, in my opinion. It is difficult, I know, but in my opinion, we have to share this information with our patient and improve their understanding on potential failure of specific cancer treatment when a complete biology protein is missing.
0: Yeah, this is uh, you know, there's a lot of data now that immunotherapy largely ineffective in driver positive lung cancer. So if a, a driver is present, we don't want to we don't want to give an ineffective treatment, and there can be more toxicity. If we go out, out of order, if we start with immunotherapy followed by targeted therapy, that can be, you know, a a dangerous type of treatment, but it is difficult to wait, you know, lung cancer is an unrelenting disease and it is difficult to, to sort of sit and wait with, with no treatment ongoing. Misako, do you ever find yourself in this situation? How do you, how do you discuss this with your patients?
1: Sure. I think this is always a challenging scenario because to the patients, the clock starts the day they are told you might have lung cancer and not the day of the biopsy or when the tumor reaches the lab. The wait time of two to three weeks from the biopsy could feel like forever. So I would definitely try to listen to the patient to try to learn where his or her anxiety is coming from. Sometimes patients have heard that tumors explode once the biopsy needle goes in and you have to start treatment immediately. Sometimes a patient could be trying to manage the timing of a special family event, like a daughter's wedding or a son's graduation. I try to explain that, in general, waiting for a few weeks to obtain the molecular testing results do, does not make the tumor explode, and being started on immunotherapy, as was just mentioned, could actually be harmful if he were to be found to have an alteration like EGFR or ALK, as the immediate switch to TKIs could be with increased risk of adverse events. Typically, patients would understand And in this case, I think we could probably buy some time getting the MR of the brain for staging purposes, but I think that it is really important for the patients to feel that their concerns were heard. I have had patients who were correctly told to wait for molecular testing results from their original oncologist, couldn't wait, and went to someone in the community who would give them immunotherapy the next day, and then came to me for a third opinion. It turns out that these patients felt that their original oncologist quickly dismissed their concerns and went to go see someone who would listen.
0: Yeah, that's a, a good point. I mean, weight is, we know, the, the best management, but you need to explain to the patient. It really does need to be a, a partnership there to, to make sure everyone understands. So let's let's move forward to this case, non-smoking male, uh, metastatic adenocarcinoma lung. We do weight. We have high pdl one and here the NGS shows a KRAS mutation. But it's a KRAS G12D that mutation, a bit more common in non smokers. Low tumor mutational burden. That PDL1 was 70%. Uh, great performance status, no notable comorbidities, normal organ function. And as we mentioned, pretty minimal symptoms. So for high PDL1, KRAS G12D, Antonio, what's your preferred regimen here for, for PDL1 high non small cell lung cancer?
2: So in Italy, the only approved immune checkpoint inhibitor for patient with a metastatic lung cancer with a high pdl one is pembrolizumab. And for approval and the reimbursement rules, we are not able to consider in this patient population, the use of combination of chemoplast immunotherapy. However, thinking outside the regulatory room for fit patient without any limiting factor, I'd like to be able to use the combo of chemoplast immunotherapy. These are simple because we know that uh, uh, about one-third of patients with high PDR1 expression develop a disease progression in the first months of treatment due to a specific molecular or maybe also a clinical feature. And this is a situation in widely investigated in a multitude of retrospective paper published in the last months, And that's why I'd ready to use a chemo plus immunotherapy with the primary goal to reduce the rate of early or fast progressing disease, in this view, of course, the Keynote one eight nine and the CheckMate nine LA schedule, with a, a, a combination of chemo plus IO, or in the CheckMate nine LA, a short chemo plus a double inhibition with a checkpoint blockade, appear the most appropriate in this clinical scenario. Waiting the different weeks to start in the correct and most appropriate treatment is, of course, difficult for a patient view, but here we have to face a very difficult question, including patient and doctor perspective and preference, finax and toxicity, but above all, I think the survival of our patient.
0: So, Antonio, the the chemo IO you mentioned, the the various regimens we have, you noted that... With the addition of chemotherapy, we don't have that initial drop in in PFS that we see with IO alone. Do you think that part of part of the advantage there is avoiding hyper progression? Are you a believer in that phenomenon?
2: <laughs> it's a very good question. So it is it's difficult to understand the in the clinical setting the hyper progression of the fast progression or the resistant patient. So I I, I don't understand the the difference when we treat the patient in the clinical practice outside for the investigational setting. But it's clear that uh, maybe one third of our patient is uh, resistant to, to immune checkpoint blockade. Sometimes for the ACOPS, that is, uh, I think, a crucial factor for our patient. But uh, in, other, in other kind of patient, it's difficult to identify the key factor of the resistance. So. Uh, the using of the combination maybe to date is uh, the only way to improve this uh, this rate of drop down in the first months and uh, also in particular in patients with uh, no smoking habit that have a very different uh, and um, particularly uh, tumor microenvironment.
0: Hmm, interesting. So uh, the the non smoking history maybe would push you more towards the addition of chemo there if it were available. So right now in Milan. Uh, your regulatory authority is, is going to allow immunotherapy alone, but you do see maybe a role for the addition of chemo if you had access to it. Misako, pdl one high, non-small cell lung cancer, KRAS G12D, what is your preferred approach?
1: Sure. So I would offer pembrolizumab single agent or CARBOL, pemetrexate, pembrolizumab, or clinical trials in the setting after figuring out the patient's preference and goals. Keynote 24 and the pd one high group from Kino 42 showed excellent results over chemo, so single agent Pembrol I think is appropriate, but at the same time, he is young at age 55, doesn't have other comorbidities, and would likely tolerate chemotherapy combination or a clinical trial where follow-up could be more intense. The updated published data last summer from Keynote 189 showed that the median OS was not reached in the pd one at or more than 50% group, And it is possible that the upfront combined chemo I.O. could be better than single agent PEMBRO, although cross-trial comparison, I think, must be done with caution.
0: Now, I think my approach is, is probably PEMBRO alone as well in the setting of minimal symptoms, but I think Antonio brings up some good points. One thing we haven't mentioned a lot of would be another approved regimen, nivolumab plus ipilimumab, or dual checkpoint blockade, based on Checkmate 227. Antonio, is this regimen available in Milan?
2: No. Unfortunately, no, we cannot use this combo. Uh, we have only for patients with a high PD-L1 in first-line uh, first PEMBRO. And uh, for patients with uh, no high PD-L1, so less than 50%, we can use the combo of a chemoplast PEMBRO, both in squamous and non-squamous.
0: Understood. Now, Misako, that is an FDA-approved regimen, the Checkmate 227 regimen. Is this one that you use, or or do you see a place for this in your treatment algorithm?
1: I actually haven't used this after it got approved, and I was using this only on clinical trials. I guess you could consider this when patient declines chemotherapy and IO combination, because this is an IO-IO combination. Um, I do have a patient who basically declined chemo IO combo because uh he was a professional guitar player who was concerned about neuropathy and just didn't want chemo at all. So in that kind of setting you could consider. And I guess you could also consider in high TMB, although that kind of biomarker is controversial still, and you still have to have a PDL one of one percent or higher.
0: Yeah, the label is for PDL one positive. I think the most compelling data were probably in the PDL one negative group where exactly hazard ratio is better. That that's where I use it sort of off-label, um, really swayed by the durability there when we can, but um, agree that is not part of the label. For pd one high, uh, I alone, I think all three of us had mentioned Pembro. We do have other pd one inhibitors available and in pd one inhibitors. Atezolizumab is approved in this space. More recently, Simiplimab approved here. Misako, um, any role for these agents?
1: So I think... The median OS that were reported from Empower 110 and the study 1624 both showed similar results to Kino 024 and Kino 042 PDL1 high group. So I wouldn't be opposed to these regimens, but I wouldn't necessarily go select these over Pembro, at least from a scientific point of view, though things might change when or if the cost of these drugs become dramatically different.
0: Yeah, I guess I don't see a, an impetus to make the change. I think they're both pretty reasonable. And if if insurance was pushing me one way, I, I wouldn't have a, a concern about that. Antonio, do you foresee maybe these agents playing a role if, if the price point comes in differently in Italy?
2: So today, the EMA uh, approved the Atezo immunotherapy for a first-line setting. So I think that in, in the next weeks or some months, uh, we'll be able to use Atezo also for pd one a high first line. so But I think that uh, this uh, does not change our approach uh, for this kind of patient, uh, in particular when the molecular proteriety is uh, radiant, very clear.
0: Now, another atezolizumab regimen, Empower 150, is approved in the US, and this is a combination of Carbopac Bev-Atezo. And the interesting feature of this, the, the Bevacizumab, adding an anti-angiogenic component there did seem to be some suggestion of benefit in EGFR mutant lung cancer as well although that's not part of the label Antonio I don't think this is available in Italy but if it were is there any situation where you might use this
2: Yes we, we tried in some patient with EGFR positive disease at the time of disease progression of those without a new predictive biomarker for clinical trials so I think that the, the combination have a eye potential, but uh, the great uh, limits for this kind of combination is the safety profile, you know. So we have uh, four drugs, and the long-term of Bevacizumab is, is uh, I think, not uh, very, very light for our patients. So the combination is, uh, of course, uh, active, but uh, I, I don't see a great role for our clinic.
0: Misako, how about you, Empower 150?
1: Only time I have considered this was when I had already given carbopemetrexate in the setting of adjuvant chemotherapy, and the patient recurred several months later. I guess there's also data to support the use with patients with liver meds, but I don't think that was the case in the case that we were talking today.
0: Uh, that's that's true. Um, we have a, a lot of options, carbonapacitizo, is an approved regimen, Checkmate 9LA. Antonio, you mentioned this might be an appeal to you. Misako, this one is available to you, Checkmate 9LA. Any role for that regimen in your algorithm?
1: So I personally don't see the benefit of 9LA over other regimens. And I also can't seem to find the right patients with the right scenario. So they're fit enough to get nevo, ipi, and chemo. But for some reason, you like to limit the chemo to two cycles, right? Steven, have you found any patients like this?
0: You know, I think that dual checkpoint blockade does introduce the risk of more immune-related toxicities. I think that if I was going to consider someone for a 227 or a 9LA regimen, I really want a patient that's engaged, that's sort of proactive, that's going to report immune-related symptoms very quickly. I, I like the limited course of chemo. I will say that uh, if I had someone that was symptomatic and started a chemo-IO combination in the setting of high PD-L1 non small cell lung cancer... Probably more likely to just drop the chemo portion for maintenance, because you know, even though had maintenance continued in KEYNOTE 189, I find that people can't continue that drug forever. Most people developing some chronic myelosuppression, renal insufficiency, fatigue. I think after a while, uh, the chemo ends up being dropped, and uh, you know the, the advantage to me of the 9LA is really dropping that chemo early. Um, but I think that uh, you know all three of us would gladly choose the regimen with the best 10-year survival. If we had that data, (laughs) we just don't have that yet. We don't have great biomarkers to, to help. Let me ask this question, Uh, Antonio, let's say you start pembrolizumab. This patient does very well. Would you continue indefinitely? Would you stop after two years in the absence of talks? What's your ideal duration of therapy?
2: Yeah. So in my opinion, this is one of the most interesting questions that we Uh, debate uh, not so much in clinical in the investigational setting or in clinical meeting. So we know that uh, uh, data about the duration immunotherapy in the randomized clinical trials is very heterogeneous. So we started from the checkmate 057 and the checkmate uh, 017 that uh, showed that long term in the second line without a clear timing for the use of immunotherapy then we move to the keynote uh, clinical trial that uh, uses the two years of treatment so it's difficult to to stop uh, the treatment for a patient in the good clinical condition without uh, any adverse event that impact on quality of life but of course this is interesting uh, question uh, comparing and uh, balancing the the, the safety and also the financial toxicity for these patients that are very, very long survival. But in clinical practice, we have a patient that uh, are under treatment after five years of an second line or after three years of pembrolizumab first line. So it's a very difficult. The only line that we can evaluate to compare this data is we consider the second line setting, which we have data for long-term use for Atezo and Nevo, and the data from two years of Pembro. And the the results are very, very similar. And for patients that stopped Pembro, we have a a slight improvement after the progression to reuse of Pembro. So I think that uh, we don't have a a clear answer to the question of the duration. And uh, considering patient with a good clinical condition, no safety profile, uh, I think that we can go on with the immunotherapy.
0: Misako, your, your approach, if they're doing well on PEMBRO alone?
1: Sure. So I think I'm a little bit biased because we had 0 021 and 189. So typically two years, come off and continue surveillance and then consider resuming PEMBRO if you recur. But what I do is that when I see the effects of chemo IOR or IO plateau over the course of several months, up to a year, more than a year, I have in certain scenarios done a PET scan and just radiated residual disease and then put them on a chemo holiday and surveillance, especially when they were starting to encounter cumulative side effects of continued therapy.
0: It's mm, an interesting approach. I wonder if minimal residual disease, plasma can play a role. Hopefully this will continue to evolve. Uh, last question on this part. Does the pandemic maybe influence your choice in this setting in any way? Antonio, uh, I know that during the initial stages of COVID, your area was hit pretty hard. Does that influence your treatment choice?
2: Yeah. Wow. One year ago, in the middle of the the, the peak of the pandemic, of course, we, we generated a new guideline, a new approach based on the quality of our, the response for our patient and to assure a very, very comfortable situation for our patients so but uh, we we work to maintain uh, the clinical activity for our patient to ensure the treatment strategy for our patient. So we we decide to postpone uh, to give a uh, uh, immuno holiday for patient after one year uh, for patients that uh, uh, give, uh, achieve a response a great response but uh, for the other patient with the stage four disease, uh, we would try to go to the same line of our treatment.
0: And how about you, Masako? Any influence there?
1: Not so much, but I find the Pembroke Q6-week dosing to be helpful.
0: Yeah, I agree. Now, maybe if we change one of the details of this case, metastatic KRAS G12D, but let's say we got that initial MRI of the brain, as you mentioned, Masako, and we see two sub-centimeter left frontal brain metastases. No edema, no shift, no symptoms. Masako, in this setting, do you pursue radiation first, or are you okay starting with immunotherapy?
1: Well, I don't think it is wrong to start immunotherapy and rescan the brain in a short interval, like six weeks. I tend to have the patient go see radonk and get gamma knife early on if the patient is in agreement and assuming the molecular testing was done and negative for targetable alterations. I have a few patients who declined gamma knife and had a very high pdl one score, like 90 to 100%. With asymptomatic subcentimeter brain meds that just melted away with a few doses of immunotherapy. So we could see that kind of response. It is just that it's hard to predict and fumit would work. And worsening brain meds is one of the things I would want to definitely try to avoid.
0: Yeah, that's, I think location of the brain meds certainly matters, the likelihood of response. Antonio, any different approach?
1: No, no, I, I agree
2: with Misako.
0: I think that uh, we've got a little bit of data for response from Dr. Sarah Goldberg, you know. but I agree, unpredictable. If it were brainstem, I, I certainly would be very concerned. Frontal lobe, I probably would start treatment and watch closely, but we certainly need a little more data here. Let's add a little more data. You know, We have our NGS report. It shows KRAS G12D, low TMB, pdl one 70%, but let's throw in an STK11 mutation. Antonio, is this changing your recommendations in any way?
2: So very interesting question. So as these discussed today, despite this raising implementation of immunotherapy as a single treatment or combo with the chemo for the first line in, for patient with lung cancer, many benefit, Many patients do not benefit from this regimen due to the primary resistance or particular clinical feature. Here, where also the TMB failed, I think that there is an urgent clinical need to identify Newer robust and predictive biomarker to select patient will be a benefit or not from immunotherapy, and the H K eleven and L K B one alteration are the, some of the most prevalent genomic driver or primary resistant to be the P D one axis inhibitors, in particular in patient with the K R S muter cancer. However, data today are immature. But the occurrence of KRAS and STK-11 mutations suggests a more aggressive molecular subtype of non-small cell lung cancer. And particularly, there was an interesting app that presented you with the ASCO 2020 by Dana-Farber Cancer Center group that showed that SK 11 mutations were associated with a resistant to immune checkpoint inhibitor in KRAS mutant lung cancer, but not in KRAS wild-type lung cancer. Based on this are confirmed to distinct immunophenotypes. So in our clinical case, based on these findings, either confirmed the user a approach in the place of immune checkpoint alone would be the best option to trip them hoping to improve the efficacy in ferro our patient.
0: Masako STK11 mutations are those factoring into your approach at all?
1: Sure. So I believe um what some of Antonio had mentioned is coming from doctor School Skoll-Ludis's paper from Cancer Discovery, which showed that SDK-11 mutations were identified as a major driver of primary resistance to PD-1 blockade in KRS mutant lung adenocarcinoma. So for this reason, if I had this information before selecting first-line therapy, I would probably avoid single Asian immunotherapy and do chemo IO.
0: But you're not depriving uh, the patient of IO. You're still incorporating that in the regimen.
1: Correct, correct.
0: Yeah, it's uh, conflicting data out there, but I agree. I think the bar to remove IO is is just too high, and I agree with what you've said. Well, Misako Antonio, this has been really helpful, a fun discussion, but, but we are at time. So wrapping up, I do want to thank our listeners. Uh, tune in to find more of our Tumor Board series wherever you listen to podcasts, if you have an interesting or challenging case you'd like us to consider, send us an email at podcasts, plural, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S, podcasts at IASLC.org. I would like to thank Dr. Antonio Passaro and Dr. Masako Nagasaka for their expertise, their thoughtful answers. Look forward to a time when I get to see you both at an ISLC meeting in person.
2: Thank you, Seven. Thank you, Mika and thank you, everyone.
1: Thank you for having me
0: that's it for this episode of Lung Cancer Considered. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll tune in the first and third Mondays of every month. Don't forget to share the podcast with colleagues and friends. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website, www.iaslc.org in our newsroom or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.